0: Welcome to the Ion Ryan Show, a satellite orbiting the worlds of tech, toys, pro wrestling, and pop culture. Here is your host, Ion Ryan.
1: Hola, amigos, and welcome to the first episode of the Ion Ryan Show as uh, we join the WeePod Squad. Uh, now, for those of you that don't know, the We Pod Squad is a creation of Greg and Sam of We Podcasts and We Know Things. Uh, Those guys are barreling towards 150 episodes. Uh, They're about to reach that milestone. Uh, They actually just crossed uh, a very important milestone of 40,000 downloads on their show. Uh, And Greg and Sam are masters at what they do. Uh, They focus on comic books, video games, uh, movies, television shows. Uh, They really are akin to... Drive time radio, all right? The kind of stuff you would hear in the morning on your way into work. They tackle all sorts of different topics. Uh, And as they've become increasingly more successful, they decided that they wanted to add a little bit of supplemental content. So it started last Tuesday with Sean and his new Star Wars-centric podcast. Uh, now, Sean did a fantastic job in his first episode as a member of the We Pod Squad. Uh, I loved his reaction to the Rise of Skywalker trailer. Uh, it was very similar to the reaction that I had. Uh, but the reality is Sean is a super fan of Star Wars. I mean, this guy, uh, he, I know, I know the movies and I know the TV shows. Uh, but Sean has an encyclopedic is that a word? Yeah Knowledge Of Star Wars So not only am I looking forward to listening I'm looking forward to learning uh, So as we said at the top of the show As my wonderful British introduction uh, I love <laughs> I love British accents and So when I wanted to record an intro to this show I was like, I want a British woman to do it uh, So I went on the internet and found a random British woman To record a introduction for me um, uh, But whatever the case is <laughs> Um At the top of the show, we said that the Ion Ryan show is a satellite orbiting the world of tech, toys, pro wrestling, and pop culture. So from a tech standpoint, um, I am a computer dude, a camera dude, a tech dude, an app dude, a phone dude. Uh, uh, The main things I really like, uh, I have a 3D printer sitting next to me. I just like learning about these things. I like to know where the future is heading. Uh, As a 32-year-old guy, I'm kind of fortunate in the fact that I've got a bunch of nieces and nephews, and they just don't understand. The the Cell phones to them are just ubiquitous. You know, everybody has a cell phone, which means everybody has a 4K camera, which means everybody has access to the Internet. Uh, Being 32 years old... I remember the days of dial-up, okay? So I enjoy and appreciate the evolution of technology uh, and how lucky we are. Um, as I said, I use cameras for my job, and it's amazing. I, I, I take digital pictures and print them seconds later, uh, oftentimes processed through uh, some sort of filter on a computer, uh, adding in some sort of graphics via green screen, uh, and it's instant. I grew up in a world where uh, you had to use a disposable camera. And it was like a $15 disposable camera and $10 processing. And, you know, I guess you could do one hour photo, but you wouldn't be able to process all those pictures till you took the, what, 27 pictures on your digital, uh, excuse me, disposable camera. And uh, that's why I love technology because I've watched it evolve. I've seen it go from film to digital. You know, I've seen computers go from uh, megabytes to terabytes, which is just absolute insanity. Uh, So on the tech front, uh, that will probably be the topic that we talk about the least on this show, uh, but we will tackle it. And uh, I'm really into 360 photos. I'm really into 3D printing. I am fascinated with the idea of virtual reality. I would love to dedicate an episode to that in the future. Um, So toys. I am a toy guy. It's kind of just like my thing. I collect Star Wars Black Series. I collect Marvel Legends and I collect WWE Elite. Those are the things that I, I go to the store and intentionally and purposefully hunt for. And I say, okay, I really need this. I really need this. And I make little checklists, and I hunt for the best deal online, uh, which that's an important thing as we get a little bit deeper into this podcast. Uh, You guys can follow me on Instagram, at IonRyan, I-O-N-Ryan, R-Y-A-N. Uh, That's kind of my central hub is my Instagram. I also use IonRyan.com. Now, the reason that I mention that. In conjunction with toys, is one I post a lot of pictures of toys. Two, I also post a lot of deals relating to toys. Uh, Figures kind of hit clearance on Amazon. I'll post them up on Instagram real quick and say, go buy them. Because if you're like me and you buy 500 toys a year, you can't be dropping 20 bucks on each one. You just can't. I don't have 10 grand to drop on toys. Uh, So, We'll be talking about those three mainly Talking about the hot releases, things that are coming out Things that are street dated and that are hitting uh, the store shelves as we speak Uh, And we'll be talking about upcoming releases I'll get into that a whole nother time But if you're into toys, you've come to the right place Uh, It will be more than just those things Because of course, like everyone, I, I collect a lot of the Funko Pops I keep an eye on those And uh, anything that really tickles my fancy, I pick up Um, I'm not going to talk too much about professional wrestling here in the intro Because this whole episode is actually dedicated to professional wrestling Uh, And we'll get into my fandom with that Of course, it dates back to being a little kid But I came back to wrestling mm, maybe about 10 years ago and it's actually become a really big part of my life in, in in a lot of different ways So I'll talk more about that later on in this episode uh, So the final thing is pop culture Now, when it, when it comes to pop culture Greg and Sam of We Podcast and We Know Things In a lot of ways, those, they, those guys are the masters of pop culture uh, On this on this network of, of the We Pod Squad, right? Those guys are going to do reviews They're going to do breaking, uh, breaking news They're going to do analysis I... I I like to do, like, deep analysis. I'm a little bit of, like, a cerebral guy, so I kind of like to do some research. I like to weigh the consequences of different things that happen, a lot of times behind the scenes. Uh, I often like to look back, uh, and this episode, we're going to deal with that. Uh, I should probably stop teasing you. What we're going to talk about today is the new professional wrestling group, uh, All Elite Wrestling, and what they can learn. From the Marvel Cinematic Universe So we're actually going to go back and we're going to look at The dawn of uh, the casting Of Robert Downey Jr. Uh, some of the production hurdles That that the Marvel Cinematic Universe Had uh, on their way to becoming The most successful film franchise of all time And we're going to see What this startup wrestling group All Elite Wrestling can can really kind of learn From them um, But So that's the kind of analysis you can expect When it comes to movies uh, I've, I, I'm not going to come on here with takes uh, I'm going to come on here with with things you can learn, and really that's the that's the backbone of this podcast. I want you, if you're a super fan of all of the aforementioned things, I want you to say awesome. I'm hearing something new, or I'm learning something new, or 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 I, I heard about a good deal from Ion Ryan, or I, I saw or heard a great review about a toy from Ion Ryan, or I love hearing his reaction to pro- professional wrestling. Uh, but really the backbone of this is, uh, if you're not into any of those things at all, I still want you to be able to listen to this and be like, wow, I didn't know that. Okay. I, I am a firm believer in broadening, uh, the entry point into these things. Okay. When, when I was a kid, uh, Adults that were into toys, and adults that were into video games, and the adults that were into professional wrestling—they were like the weird nerds. And uh, in a lot of ways, the nerds have inherited the earth. And uh, I'm very fortunate to be a part of the generation where being a nerd is is really an asset. Okay, and I don't mean I don't use that N word uh, nerd uh, in a negative. Connotation at all, all right. I remember my mom always told me geeks are good, right? Geeks are good, and uh, man, she was right. So, uh, with that said, what else can we expect from this podcast? I will say that I'm a uh, I'm a PG kind of guy. Okay, so if you got the kids in the car, you can usually throw on an episode of Ion Ryan, and I'm not going to say anything that you're gonna, that's going to make you blush or that you're going to have to explain or that you're going to have to turn down. All right. On occasion, if we do tackle anything controversial, I'll pretty much open the episode and say, hey, uh, I'm going to borrow a line from my friends over at the PW Torch. Uh, This is not minivan friendly. That's what I'll tell you. All right. And that will basically be our little code for uh, save it for for a time when you don't have the kids in the car. (laughs) All right. Um, So in a minute here, we're going to get back to uh, uh, the topic at hand. And that is. What all elite professional wrestling can learn from the MCU. Uh, Real quick, guys, if you are in the Philadelphia area and you're listening to this podcast uh, when it originally airs in June of 2019, uh, I want to save you a few bucks. Wizard World Philadelphia is coming to the convention center on June 13th, 14th, 15th, and 16th. That's Thursday through Sunday. And uh, I have a coupon code for you, all righty? At checkout, use the coupon code Sinister20, all right? That's my coupon code uh, based on my Star Wars toy collecting group. Uh, we'll save you 20%. Uh, now, uh, Wizard World has got hundreds of vendors, all right? They got artists from all over the world who are promoting their independent projects or... Uh, Their own uh, artistic creations, they've got uh, dealers, toy dealers, comic book dealers, all sorts of stuff You're you're never going to believe what you find at Wizard World Uh, These comic cons are just crazy And of course they've got some celebrities, right? So they've got uh, some folks coming in from Gotham, uh, from Once Upon a Time uh, from Supergirl, uh, even a couple of the guys from American Pie are going to be there. All right, uh, you got Ted Danson. Uh, there's oftentimes a little area where maybe they have like a vehicle or something. I don't want to advertise that in case that's not that's not there. Uh, but most importantly, I will be there. You can come see me. Uh, now I can't talk about. What exactly it is I'm doing there yet? Because uh, there's a couple different irons in the fire in that regard. Uh, but my group will be there: the Sinister Six uh, Bounty Hunter Collective. Uh, that is my Star Wars toy collecting group. We're based in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, we meet once a month uh, to discuss Star Wars toys. We got a group on uh, on Facebook. You can follow that at uh, Philly. Sinister6.com, uh, uh, all right, 6 is S-I-A-X, not the letter, not the number, uh, so yeah, uh, save some money, all right, so if you're going to Wizard World in Philadelphia, use the coupon code Sinister20, all righty, and you can come visit me and my friends at the booth, and uh, follow me on Instagram, because if uh, a couple of these things work out, uh, I'll be able to tell you there uh, what exactly what I'm doing. So I uh, hope to see you at Wizard World Philadelphia. Again, that's June 13th, 14th, 15th, and 16th at the Philadelphia Convention Center, downtown Philadelphia. All save a couple bucks on me. All right, so as we set the table here for for this dialogue as to what all elite wrestling can learn from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I do feel the need, as many wrestling fans, as many adult wrestling fans feel the need to do, I feel the need to discuss and borderline defend my fandom. All right, first and foremost, we're going to get this out of the way, and maybe this is one of those instances where I got to tell you to cover the kids' ears, but um <clears throat> professional wrestling's fake. Yes, I said it. I said the F-word. I'm so sorry. All righty. And I know that. All right? I just I want to clear the air. I don't want to lose all credibility with you as you're sitting here thinking that this 32-year-old man that you're listening to is believing that what we're seeing in front of us is true competitive sport. Okay? Again, I know I'm well aware that it is Predetermined outcomes. alrighty. Uh, but when it comes to professional wrestling, that's a little bit of the beauty of it. See growing up in Philadelphia, I'm a 32 year old guy. All right. So in 2008, I got to see the first championship in my lifetime, which was the Philadelphia Phillies winning the world series. All righty. And then, uh, about 18 months ago, I got to witness maybe one of the greatest moments in my life which was my Philadelphia Eagles winning Super Bowl 52 over the New England Patriots, okay? Now, I loved those moments, but what made those moments all the more memorable is I remember crying myself to sleep when the Blue Jays beat the Phillies via a Joe Carter home run, okay? I remember crying myself to sleep after Donovan McNabb threw all those interceptions to end all those NFC Championship games. See, in sport, the best team doesn't always win. Sometimes it's the lucky team. Alrighty, and your hometown team it rarely wins unless you live in Boston or or you are a Golden State Warriors fan. Uh, there's a chance that in your lifetime you may see one championship. See, and that. Is the beauty of professional wrestling. See, in professional wrestling, uh, based on the nature of the sport, and I'm willing to call it a sport because you cannot take away the fact that these guys are exceptionally athletic, okay? Uh, In that sport, usually, eventually, the good guys win, all right? And what's so beautiful about professional wrestling as an art form for storytelling, as a vehicle for storytelling, is uh, the good guy doesn't always win the first time, okay? Uh, but similar to comic books, professional wrestling goes on and, on and on and on and on and on and on and on forever. Week after week, professional wrestling's coming on your television, all right? Now, many of you may know the WWE. It's WWE now, it's been WWE for probably almost 20 years, but some of you probably still in your brain, and it's okay. Uh, Say WWF, right? And the first person you maybe think of is Hulk Hogan, or you think of Stone Cold Steve Austin, or The Rock, or John Cena, okay? Uh, You think about it, that television program has been running for 25 years, close to it, okay? Every single week, two to three hours of content, all right? Uh, Later on, they added additional shows, and currently, right now, the the WWE uh, Which used to stand for World Wrestling Entertainment Doesn't stand for anything now Other than WWE uh, They produce more than five hours Of original content in a single week Every single week with no off season Alright, like I said, it's similar to comic books Right? The same Superman that we read now Is the same Superman that came out What, 80 years ago? 80, 80 plus years ago? Um, and, and every single week They have to find a new way to tell the story And in those stories sometimes the bad guys win sometimes it takes a while for the good guys to win sometimes the bad guys cheat sometimes the good guys lose whatever the case is there's kind of an arch- archetypes right are you familiar with archetypes these all stories have them you know it's it's the building blocks of a story. It's it's the backbone of good and evil. It, it tells us just a, just as much about the protagonist as it does the antagonist, right? And these people, week in and week out, through predetermined results, tell us a story, and we go on a journey. And the best part is that there is there is an element of realism now. <sighs> We're going to kind of pause here for one single second, and I'm going to say uh, that in Philadelphia, and I don't mean to make this a Philly-centric podcast, okay? I promise you that if you're listening to this right now in Bangladesh, that uh, this is not going to be a history of Philadelphia podcast, uh, but it's 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 my building blocks, right? I have to tell you about who I am and where I come from so you, so you can understand where my ideas come from and my experiences that I'm sharing with you. Um, so... About three years ago now, I was uh, at a professional wrestling show. Alrighty, been to hundreds of professional wrestling shows here in Philadelphia, and I heard a gentleman speaking with an accent. And it caught me, as I said uh, earlier in the podcast I like British accents, I like accents in general All right, it fascinates me Some of you may be listening to me and be like Oh my god, this guy's got the worst Philly accent I've ever heard Um, So, but in my brain The way I talk is the way you're supposed to talk Not supposed to talk, you know what I mean It's the way I'm Uh, It's what I'm most used to. So when I hear somebody speaking uh, with a British accent or a Southern accent or a hardcore Boston accent, I want to talk to those people because I know that they're different than me. I know they're coming from a different place than I come from, and I want to know about their life and their experience and what brought them here. Right? So I hear this guy talking, and he's got some sort of vague European accent. It's definitely not like French or or Spanish or anything like that. And so I say, hey, man, where are you from? Because goes, oh, I'm from Austria. I'm not even going to fake his accent, okay? And I said, man, you're from Austria. That's great. You know, are you vacationing here? He goes, no, I just moved here. So you moved to Philadelphia from Austria? Long story short, you came into the country a few years before, and, you know, he's, he's on his path to citizenship, and, uh he decided that he wanted to move to Philadelphia. Do you know why? Okay, well, this, uh, this particular event we were at was happening at the corner of Swanson and Rittner. All right, now I'll post a picture on my Instagram of a pin I have of the Swanson and Rittner street signs here in Philadelphia. In Philly, all street signs uh, are green with white writing. Uh, Swanson and Rittner is the corner... Uh, That houses what used to be called a bingo hall back in the 1990s when a group named ECW wrestled there. Okay, it was called the ECW Arena, and it is one of the most iconic and historic professional wrestling buildings in maybe all of the world, right? We made a top 10 list of the most important uh, wrestling venues ever. Uh, you're gonna put the garden. Uh, you're gonna put the garden on there. You're gonna put what is it, Kurikan uh, Hall in Japan? Um, you know some of those southern ones from the WCW, NWA days. But you're gonna put ECW right here in my hometown of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the ECW Arena. Well, uh, they still do shows there. And this guy basically moved to Philadelphia because we were the home of the ECW Arena. Not only were we the home of the ECW Arena. Uh, We are a beacon for professional wrestling. See, the joys of living in Philadelphia is we're about two hours from New York. We're about two hours from D.C. We've got uh, uh, 95 runs from here up to New England all the way down to Florida. So it's a really accessible city for a lot of different people. So if you were putting together a pro wrestling show and you wanted to bring in all sorts of different wrestlers and they're going to hop in their car on Friday and drive here or late Thursday night and drive overnight, uh, Philadelphia is an easy place to get them to. All righty. So we've got Ring of Honor here. Um, We've got uh, we get the House of Hardcore shows regularly. And uh, we have a professional wrestling group called Chikara. Uh, now, Chikara is a creation of Mike Quackenbush, uh, and I, I, I'm I, going to try and drop in a clip here from Mike, all right? Mike explains why pro wrestling is fascinating uh, way better than I ever could, honestly. The guy is is really one of the most brilliant people I've ever heard. Uh, he used to have a great podcast called The Grizzly Bear Egg Cafe. He's since moved on to creating a couple couple different podcasts. One is called Fabe 2.0. I will not explain what Fabe is at this time, but I will maybe later. Um, and he also does another, another podcast with uh, Chikara senior official Bryce Remsberg, Um, Next time they put one of those up, I'll definitely post it on my Instagram and you can go and check them out Uh, But Mike did this speech at Ignite Philly Um, Ignite Philly is an opportunity, it's it's basically like Philly TED Talks I I hate to boil it down to something that simple, but that's, that's kind of what it is So at Ignite Philly, Mike gave this speech Now, I'm going to explain the speech if I'm not able to use the audio. I've written Mike and Ignite looking for permission. Uh, So right here is either going to be Mike's speech from Ignite Philly from a couple years ago about the art form of professional wrestling, or it's going to be me paraphrasing it.
0: Thank you. Hello. I'm Mike Quackenbush, and I make professional wrestling. Thank you, Uh, I'm the upside down guy in this photo. It was snapped in the last match that I had and although you will not see me in the ring anymore, I'm still involved in the training of aspiring pros and I work with the uh, wonderful bunch of creative types you were so kind to name drop, Chikara. (laughs) Outstanding, thank you. I'm passionate about professional wrestling. I think pro wrestling is the most misunderstood form of entertainment on the planet. And I also believe it's the most fascinating and wonderful kind of performance art you could ever hope to experience. So why? Why is professional wrestling so misunderstood? Why is there such a stigma associated with being a pro wrestling fan? I think it is because for years, wrestling was stuck in this closeted cycle of self-loathing because we are not legitimate sport. I'm sorry, Adam. We're not. But we masquerade as that in the same way that the Harlem Globetrotters masquerade as competitive basketball. Pro wrestling is performance art. And the flavor of wrestling I like best is akin to a comic book come to life. It is colorful costumes. It is superhuman feats of strength and agility. It's heroes and villains, it's comedy and tragedy, and larger than life, characters.
1: So just as I did, Mike equates professional wrestling to comic books, uh, but he takes it one step further. See, I drew a parallel between their distribution uh, and maybe even a little bit of the narrative where you have to kind of keep telling a story week after week or month after month, okay? Um, But Mike's professional wrestling group, Chikara, they really kind of try and bring superheroes to life, okay? There's a lot of masked individuals Um, and they really, it makes you feel like you're kind of watching superheroes. They've actually done some of the most progressive and interesting things in all the professional wrestling. They actually had a story a couple years ago, uh, that involved time travel. Alrighty. I'm going to save that. We're going to talk about that in another episode, but they do some fascinating things and the, the crux of Mike's argument as to why professional wrestling is, should not be frowned upon in the mainstream is, um. Game of Thrones is fake. (laughs) Just as fake as wrestling is, quote unquote. Game of Thrones is fake. Uh, Everything to a certain degree is fake, even if you watch reality television. Uh, I was speaking to my sister earlier, who is nothing short of a reality television addict. And uh, we basically discussed the fact that those people are characters, all right? They're playing a caricature of themselves for reality television already and professional wrestling is really no different but what makes professional wrestling so fascinating and this is a little bit topical as we just uh we just hit the series finale at game of thrones and there's that silly petition signed by a couple thousand people that they should redo the entire season they filmed this a year ago six months ago whatever it was the beautiful thing about professional wrestling is the uh the wrestlers, or if you want to call them characters, or even, and this is a little bit sacrilegious in my opinion, but if you want to call them actors, they're doing this live, week in and week out.
0: No movie will respond to your cheers or jeers. A novel will not high-five you should you pass by. Uh, A television show is a static experience projected onto a 2D screen. But a professional wrestler may land in your lap if you happen to be seated in the front row.
1: Meaning, uh, if the crowd of 20,000 people in the arena starts a booing, uh, the following week, that guy that they booed may be a bad guy or he may be able to react to it. Or they may say, oh, let's not do that again. And he does something completely different. It's 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 a focus group on a week-to-week basis. And they can change the script from week to week. There's really almost... I mean, and actual sports do that, right? If your quarterback is getting sacked game after game after game, well, when you go into that next game, you're going to do something different with your offensive line, all right? And that's one of the things that intrigues us about sports is it's unpredictable. It's a constant evolution, okay? That's what we love about sports. And that's where professional wrestling, to me, is one of the most beautiful art forms we we have in in modern America and modern pop culture, okay? It's a weekly focus group. And week after week, they have the ability to change and evolve and grow, okay? They can listen to the fan reactions. There's been instances in the past couple of years where people tweeted so viciously and vehemently and passionately about a, a predictable outcome for a match that a wrestling company I said, you know what? We can't do that. We have to change the story. Before it even happened, we have to change the story, okay? And they heard, they heard that on a Tuesday after a Monday night episode aired, and they changed it on Sunday when the pay-per-view aired, okay? There's this evolution that, that, that these artists really are able to receive this feedback and change their performance. In the middle of the match, they can, they can turn to the crowd. They can scream at them.
0: The best kind of pro wrestling aspires to take you on an emotional journey to thrill you when an underdog triumphs, to resonate with you deeply when one tag team partner betrays another. It engages you in the chase for glory and it drags you through the valley of defeat and it even grants you access to that most intimate of moments when someone's lifelong dream is fulfilled. Our audience really experiences these emotional highs and lows with us and the restorative catharsis our performance generates is shared between the people that craft it and the fans that go on the journey with us. My friends, there's nothing fake about that.
1: So based on my words here, and based on what I've interspersed with Mike Quackenbush, I think we've done a good job of establishing professional wrestling as a storytelling art form, as its own individual medium, the same way that music and television and movies are their own art forms. Now, here's, here's what we're getting at. Professional wrestling, as an art form, has become monopolized. At this point, WWE, which is owned by Vince McMahon, it owns Boardwalk and Park Place when it comes to professional wrestling. Now, yes, I mentioned Ring of Honor and Chikara and House of Hardcore, uh, but those are smaller, independent, Not as financially well-off companies. To put some context into that, uh, WWE, as the monopolized art form of professional wrestling, has over 17 million followers on Instagram. Uh, The closest professional wrestling company to them on Instagram um, was 400,000 followers. Okay, so pro wrestling is WWE, and WWE is pro wrestling So ultimately, all talent, all roads lead to WWE. If you want to become a millionaire as an artist, a professional wrestling artist, you have to go to WWE. Now, imagine if the music you liked went away. Imagine if there was only one genre of film, that there was only one guy in Hollywood who was using all the different actors to tell the same type of story over and over and over again. Now, I don't care how much you like movies, that level of repetition and that lack of options uh, is is going to get to you, and you're going to lose interest in the art form. And ultimately, that's what has happened in the past 20 years since WWE's main competitor, WCW, went out of business, okay? Okay. WWE and WCW in the late '90s were pulling millions and millions and millions of views on network television, and since then, as WWE has monopolized the professional wrestling art form, uh, viewership has went down. As a matter of fact, they are at record low ratings. So, uh, the three letters that I have mentioned multiple times throughout this podcast is AEW, All Elite Wrestling. This is a brand new professional wrestling promotion, which really in a lot of ways is not only taking aim at WWE, but they're looking to bring in the fans that have that we've lost, that we've lost the monopoly created by Vince McMahon. Now, how are they different than those other groups? Uh, well first off, they have a clean slate, okay? They are starting from scratch. In addition to that, They have announced a television deal with the TNT Network, which is uh, WWE airs on USA. USA and TNT have about the same amount of reach in households across America, which gives AEW a chance to become as big as WWE. So AEW is just starting out, and they have a lot to learn, and I believe in some ways, that they can learn from the creation of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. See, when Marvel was just first starting out, uh, they were already a little bit hamstrung in the fact that they had sold the rights of characters like Deadpool, and the X-Men, and Spider-Man, and Daredevil at the time, and the Incredible Hulk. Uh, They were all with different studios at that time, meaning when Marvel wanted to make their own movies... They only had the rights to a handful of those characters. Uh, And, of course, as we all know now, the first movie that kicked off the MCU was Iron Man. So I want to tell you a little bit about the dawn of Iron Man. So when Marvel decided to start their own studio, uh, they decided they were going to do Iron Man first. And they decided to go out and get some focus groups to find out what people knew about Iron Man. And shockingly, they knew almost nothing. As a matter of fact, many people thought Iron Man was just a machine. They didn't realize that there was a man named Tony Stark behind that outfit, behind that costume, behind that suit of armor. So Marvel went on an awareness campaign, and they created three animated feature films featuring Iron Man uh, so people could start to understand that there was a character behind that suit. Now, the next big thing was... Who were they going to have anchor This budding Film franchise at the time I don't Know if they knew that it was really going to go 22 movies this was a big Risk for them and uh, They took the ultimate risk In casting Robert Downey Jr. Uh, Let me read an article To you about the day that Robert Downey Jr. Was cast as Iron Man So in September 2006 uh, Harry Knowles from In Cool News was at a Screening of Darren Aronofsky's The Fountain Now the film had a considerable amount of buzz As it was his uh, first big budget movie Following his cult hits, *Pie* and Requiem for a Dream It also starred everyone's favorite superhero at the time Hugh Jackman Who was searching for his first non-X-Men blockbuster Following the critical and commercial failure of Van Helsing Just before he went on stage to introduce the advanced screening to the audience Knowles got an interesting tip Robert Downey Jr. is going to play Iron Man Knowles called his Ain't It Cool News co-worker Moriarty before he went on stage to ensure that they'd be the first to break this news. Moriarty's reaction was nothing short of prophetic. Here's what he said in his article. Brace yourself for what happens when someone makes the right choice for once. Tony Stark will be played by Robert Downey Jr. I can't even express how much I love that choice. First of all, Congratulations to Paramount and Marvel for having the nerve to pin their franchise on Downey. He's had some rough years, but if I've ever seen anyone aggressively work to rehab their career, it's Downey. Even in his darkest days, he was doing good work. But lately, he seems more in touch than ever with what makes him great as a performer. He's excellent with comedy, and he can break an audience's heart with ease. That's a rare combination. And when the franchise finally gets into some of Tony's darkest hours, when he faces down his own demons in a second or third film, can you imagine how much soul Downey can bring to it? If handled right, that's some of the most potent, dramatic material in any Marvel movie. And now they've got the right actor to make it all work. Congratulations to Jon Favreau and Paramount and Marvel. I can't wait. So that's what his article said. And for those of you that don't know, Robert Downey Jr. has had significant struggles in his life with substance abuse. Uh, He was kind of in and out of jail or at the very least on and off of probation. And Marvel took the ultimate risk saying, we're going to make this guy the center point. I I mean, there's a chance that Robert Downey Jr. could have, God forbid, relapsed and they would have been back at square one with this entire franchise. And yet, And we got some Endgame spoilers coming here. Robert Downey Jr. made it through all the movies to give us one of the most heartfelt, sincere, and heartbreaking moments in the history of cinema. When Tony Stark says, I am Iron Man, and snaps his fingers to save the world, so completes literally one of the greatest story arcs in the history of storytelling. I'm not even kidding here. If you watch Iron Man 1 through Endgame, you will see a character evolution unlike almost anything we've ever seen before. He's consistent, and he's consistently brilliant in all that he does. I've recently rewatched Age of Ultron, a movie that I really kind of wrote off and realized it's a crucial part to Tony's story. Without Age of Ultron... Without that anger, without that heartbreak, without that frustration, without that destruction, without that fear, Tony Stark would not have been nearly as compelling of a character. And as Moriarty from Ain't It Cool News predicted, Robert Downey Jr. had the comedic timing, and he also had the dramatic chops to make us fall head over heels in love with Tony Stark. So Iron Man was released in April of 2008, and I want to share with you some of the reviews uh, from really the top critics in the world. Uh, Roger Ebert from the Chicago Sun-Times said, At the end of the day, it's Robert Downey Jr. who powers the liftoff, separating this from most other superhero movies. Jim Emerson, uh, who wrote for Roger Ebert's website at the time, said, Not only is it a good comic book movie, it's winning enough to engage even those who have never cared much for comic books or the movies they spawn. NPR said, if every superhero franchise had a Robert Downey Jr., the genre might actually be watchable again. So that's the first thing that the Marvel Cinematic Universe did right. They cast Robert Downey Jr., and they started with Iron Man. See, if you start it with Captain America... The first film in the franchise would have been a period piece, and I don't know if that would have worked. Uh, If you started with Thor, you would have basically started in space with allusions to Greek mythology, which uh, very well could have confused audiences. Uh, Iron Man was so grounded, and the character and the casting was so perfect to say, I see myself in him, and I see him in this world, that It really started the Marvel Cinematic Universe on the right foot. So in this same way, all elite professional wrestling has got to do the same thing. They have to start with the right cast of characters. And boy, did they ever. At their first show, Double or Nothing, which occurred Memorial Day weekend this year, 2019, they introduced us to who their characters were going to be, really who their core was going to be, who their, dare I say it, Avengers were going to be. You had Kenny Omega, who is a Canadian-born professional wrestler who went over to Japan and had what is considered literally the greatest professional wrestling match of all time when he took on the New Japan world champion, Okada. You have Cody Rhodes, a guy who wrestled for Vince McMahon, whose brother wrestled for Vince McMahon, whose father, the legendary Dusty Rhodes, wrestled for Vince McMahon. Cody, three years ago, asked for his release from WWE, and he blazed a path that no other WWE cast-off has ever blazed before. He went worldwide, having his dream matches, and bringing eyes to corners of the globe for professional wrestling that have never had eyes or an audience before. You also have The Young Bucks. These are two guys who are 5'8", 5'9", 5'10". Okay, that's not very tall for professional wrestlers, but let me tell you, their immense amount of talent and personalities make up for any shortcomings relating to their height. These guys, all four of the gentlemen I've discussed here, are the executive vice presidents of AEW, which means they'll be the driving creative force behind all the stories we see when AEW comes to TNT Network this fall. But interestingly enough, I think AEW's Iron Man, their Robert Downey Jr., is John Moxley. Now, for those of you that don't know, John Moxley performed as Dean Ambrose for Vince McMahon in WWE. Dean Ambrose, along with Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns, are arguably the top three stars that WWE has produced in the past decade. But Dean Ambrose, now John Moxley, grew tired of Vince McMahon's creative process. You can actually hear him speak about it at length on the Talk is Jericho podcast, as well as Wade Keller's interview with him uh, on the PW Torch podcast. So at the end of Double or Nothing, AEW's first pay-per-view event, John Moxley made his surprise debut. And in the same way that Robert Downey Jr. is funny, but dramatic, tragic, but brilliant, Broken, but relatable. John Moxley is all of those things. So if casting can make a franchise, as the reviews of Iron Man seem to indicate, AEW is off to a great start with the guys that they're building around. Next, you have to think about one of the main fixtures of the MCU, and that is the post credit scene. In Iron Man, we were introduced to Nick Fury, and we all knew the second that he appeared on screen that he was going to introduce to us the concept of the Avengers. Marvel would take their time, and they would produce an Incredible Hulk film, a Thor film, another Iron Man, and Captain America, before giving us the ultimate team-up. But from day one, there was an exciting inevitability. And that's not to be confused with predictability. This is something for us to be excited about, something for us to look forward to, a reason for us to invest You see Iron Man, and you hear that they're going to put together the Avengers, and you say, ooh, I better watch Thor, and I better watch Captain America, and I better watch the Hulk, and I better watch Iron Man too, because i got to meet the rest of the team. I have to know how they're all going to arrive at this inevitability of a team-up. This, too, is where AEW can learn. If you've watched professional wrestling long enough, you can have a pretty good idea as to what WWE's WrestleMania main event is going to be a year before it happens. And as the MCU has taught us, that type of inevitability is totally okay. As long as the journey you take us on is worth it. So in the case of AEW, as they lead up to their weekly television program, they need to find a way to get fans excited for what's coming. Surprises are awesome, and we saw tons of those in the MCU. But what's most exciting is... It's something to look forward to. Let me circle my calendar. I, I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know exactly how it's going to happen. But I know that I need this thing to happen. So whether that's a dream match between John Moxley, formerly known as Dean Ambrose, and Kenny Omega, or whether it's a dream match between uh, the young upstart Hangman Page, who's performing for All Elite Wrestling and could very well become their first world champion. Uh, We need something to look forward to. Now, between the time that they debut on television and their debut at Double or Nothing, the pay-per-view, they have three more shows. Uh, One is called Fighter Fest, which is happening later this month in Florida. The other one, I believe, is called Fight for the Fallen, which will happen in July, and that's actually really cool. That show benefits the victims of gun violence. Uh, But all of it builds to their all-out pay-per-view. And and that's going to have to set the tone. In in a lot of ways, that is their post-credit sequence. At that point, we will have seen three AEW events, and and we're going to see one more before they come to weekly television. And in that pay-per-view, we have to learn what weekly television is going to be like. We have to know what it is that we should look forward to. So, All Out is the sequel to All In. Uh, So, what All In was was basically a bet, okay? So, as I alluded to, there's Kenny Omega, maybe the best wrestler in the world, Cody Rhodes, uh, who became one of the biggest names in professional wrestling after he left WWE, and the Young Bucks, who are arguably the greatest tag team of all time. Uh, When they were working in Japan... Uh, They started to draw a pretty big audience from North America. They started gaining a lot of fans. They signed an unprecedented merchandising deal with Hot Topic. So when the boys finally came home to North America, uh, they instantly sold out a lot of venues that held two, maybe 3,000 people. And an eager fan tweeted the preeminent pro wrestling journalist Dave Meltzer and said, yo, these guys are rock stars, do you think they could sell out, like, a 10,000-person arena? And Dave Meltzer, uh, with his ever-so-measured take, said, "Uh, I don't know, to which Cody Rhodes said, you want to bet? So the group of men known as the Elite, formerly known as the Bullet Club, came to America and rented the Sears Center in Chicago, and they sold out a 10,000-person arena in less than 20 minutes. The reality of the situation is it would have went quicker if the website didn't go down. But this little experiment, this little bet, which they won, showed them that there was a market for a pro wrestling company other than WWE here in America. No company had sold 10,000 seats since WCW went out of business 20 years ago. And these guys that you've barely seen on North American television, uh, using the power of the internet and their YouTube show, Being the Elite, promoted, booked, sold out, and executed – one of the most successful pay-per-views in the history of the industry. This led to New Year's Eve, well, really New Year's Day, at 3 a.m. They released a very special episode of Being the Elite. People assumed that this announcement was going to be a sequel to All In, uh, but they ended up surprising their fans by announcing All Elite Wrestling was starting here in America. In the special video that aired at 3 a.m. my time, they also did announce Double or Nothing, that that would be the first show for AEW. But that's kind of how we got to where we are now. And you know what, guys? We're actually going to pause it right there for the next two weeks. Uh, we're, we're approaching the hour mark here, and I think we've think we've achieved a lot together. We've learned about the art of professional wrestling. Uh, we got a nice introduction into uh, how the MCU basically started, saw some of the early reviews and analyzed some of the things they did really well. Uh, and I just gave you a brief history of all elite wrestling. Uh, so we'll pick this thing up in two weeks. Uh, we're going to talk about really Marvel uh, MCU's Phase 2 and what AEW can learn from that, including looking at the risks involved in guardians of the galaxy, as well as the masterful storytelling of pitting two of our top stars, uh, being Captain America and Iron Man against one another without necessarily forcing the audience to take sides. Alrighty, so in the meantime, guys, follow me on Instagram at IonRyan. I would love some of your feedback. Uh, I'm a little rusty. It's been a little while since I've done the podcast. Uh, and also, I'm really learning as I inherit uh, Greg and Sam's audience about what you guys like and how you like it. So uh, I want to hear back from you, and uh, I want to field some questions, I want to expand on things that I didn't fully explain, Uh, I also want to know what you guys want to hear about going forward, alrighty, so follow me on Instagram at IonRyan, episode 3, as Greg teased, is going to be all about Spider-Man, that will be uh, the week that that movie actually comes out, so it will be very topical, Uh, but I'm looking for ideas for episode 4, episode 5, and beyond. I want to thank you all for tuning in and for uh, Greg and Sam for giving me this opportunity and uh, for Sean for sharing Tuesdays with me. So for the time being, here's my friends, TJ Kong and the Atomic Bomb to play us out. Be great. Be grateful. superhero movie franchise <clears throat> NPR said if every superhero movie franchise had a Robert Downey Jr. Uh, 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 uh. NPR said if every superhero franchise had a Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> okay. Okay.